And welcome to another episode of the Rice and Mike's podcast. I'm your host, Tung Nguyen. And today I am joined by a really special guest here today. He has 12,000 subs on YouTube, 22,000 followers on Instagram, and he is not at the 100,000 follower mark on TikTok yet. He is at 99.9k. I did check just before recording this. Uh, his alias would be Sydney Food Boy or Kevin. Kevin La, Kevin, how are you going today? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, mate. Let's do a bit of a background on who Sydney Food Boy is. A lot of people know as you as the local guy in Sydney who covers food in the area. Um, but who is really the person behind the camera? So tell us a bit about yourself as uh, in uni icebreaker ways. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is, this is a pretty hard question, actually. I guess... Yeah, a lot of people when when they go through the blog and, you know, the YouTube and all that, I just look like this local guy who eats food, but essentially that's what I am, man. Like, I, I grew up in the area, you know, and I just really appreciated, you know, the the nuances and the things, you know, about living in the area. And then I started to share that in through the medium of food, you know, so I thought that was pretty cool. But essentially, I'm just your typical guy. I'm just like you. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I'm a young guy. So for work, I work in optometry. I'm actually an optometrist. I didn't expect that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know, you know, and when, like, when I say it, they're like, oh, surprised. So, yeah, I've been doing optometry for about three years now. Three years? You, you yeah. took me more as like a, I don't know, big four kind of guy wearing a no. suit. <laughs> Why does everyone think that? I think you just have this, uh, this kind of party guy look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm an optometrist. That's my full-time job. And this is all pretty much like a side passion project, which I pretty much do full-time as well because it takes a lot of time out of the day. So anytime I'm not at work, I'm doing this and vice versa. And how did you first get into it? Oh, long story. But if I had to place uh, a point of origin, it'd probably be... Yeah, I was overseas at a period of time. I was in Singapore and I was visiting my family there. Very long story, I had to come down from Nepal on a trip because I got injured and then I ended up in Singapore by myself. So I was in Singapore doing solo travel pretty much. Oh, wow. Yeah, doing solo travel. I had family there, so I saw the family at nighttime, but during the daytime, what's there really to do in Singapore, right? Well, I haven't been there yet. So Singapore is like, it's like a, like a central hub slash crossover city. So when you're traveling to anywhere around Asia, you're, you sort of go through Singapore for the most part. And a lot of people stop there for like one or two days, eat some food, you know, do a little bit of sightseeing. But I had 12 days there, 13 days there. So I was staying with the family and, you know, I was just spending all my time eating food. And I was like, I love this, man. This is crazy. But in order to find the food places over there, like one would have to go on to, for example, food blogs, all right, websites, um, publications. And all of these publications would say, oh, Singapore is one of the greatest food cities in the world, blah, blah, blah. And it is. Like, I think Singapore food is great. It's amazing food over there. And then I started thinking about, you know, how much fun I was having doing that. But also the fact that not a lot of people were talking about Sydney in the same manner. And I think for anyone who grows up around Sydney, you know that some of the food that you can find around here is like world class, man. 
there is some amazing food that you can find here. Like we have a very multicultural city. Like some would argue, maybe like the most multicultural in the world, maybe. And you have just people from all over the place, man. Like all over different parts of the world, and they've come together and they've found this beautiful place to be home. And in it, they've brought a lot of food with them as well. So, like my question to myself when I was overseas was, how can I give myself this feeling every single day? All right, because I was having a lot of fun, just you know, solo traveling, going by myself, eating food, trying new stuff. And I was like, I can do this in that. Like, I can do this at home. I can do this when I'm in Sydney. And for the most part, you can do that through food. Hence the food adventure. I love that. It's yeah. such a great origin story. Yeah. I think with your point, saying that a lot of people don't know about the places in Sydney, um, even though you live there. That kind of ties in from when I think of like things to do in Sydney. Let's say if you go overseas, you generally have a fair idea on what to do, like what's touristy, what's mm. there to do. You think about Sydney, it's like, oh, what can I do? Like I've lived here for 20 <laughs> years. Surely there's more to it than just Taronga Zoo and climbing yeah. the Harbour Bridge. Yeah. And I feel like some of us can take that for granted with like the, the food and maybe what you can do around Sydney or around New South Wales, that is. Isn't it funny, hey, like when, whenever you have a relative over from overseas, for example, or you just meet someone who's from overseas, they have this whole agenda, like this whole itinerary. Oh, I'm going to do everything there is possibly to do in Sydney. And like us living in Sydney or like Australia for that matter, there are so many places that they go that we haven't been and we're probably never going to go like without thinking about it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, do people think about that? Like if you go to Japan, for example, there's so much to do in Japan, but for the people that live there, do they ever think about like going to Nara Park to look at the deer or like, you know, going yeah. to all these different sites and places? Is it just different to have an outside perspective That's it. when yeah. you live outside? <laughs> yeah. So with recording this, we're probably about a week out of lockdown mm. and being a foodie, how did you cope? being in lockdown yeah, it wasn't too hard the thing i was worried about because you know i get to know a lot of the restaurants and food places around sydney and the people behind them doing what i do so for the most part i was worried about them and you know how they were going to cope so i tried my best you know to try to share their food and whatnot a lot of them were a bit more prepared i think compared to the first round of lockdown which was last year in 2020 so more for like delivery options yeah like they already had a plan in place, I suppose. Like they, well, they had stuff that they did last year, which they could draw upon. Mm. And it just made it a little bit smoother for them. So for example, that might be like do-it-yourself boxes or, you know, food delivery and, you know, how to deliver that food, not just to locals, but to people around Sydney as well. And I saw a couple of delivery services, like as businesses start popping up as well. People who, you know, saw an opportunity there and just jumped the gun at that. And I guess that made accessing food a lot easier. So for me and what I do, like, you know, obviously you have to stay consistent with content and, you know, uh, like what type of food am I eating today and how the audience can eat that food too and enjoy themselves. So like there was still a lot of options there. For me, I also took it as an opportunity to explore like my backyard, my hometown. And I grew up in Cabramatta, Kenley Heights to be exact. So Fairfield City is like it's gold mine man there's so much stuff and there's a lot of cool places and just you know, things to eat that i haven't explored yet and i'm sure if i haven't explored it many people haven't explored it either like just living in our area so it's one thing to be like oh yeah i grew up in the area i eat pho every day you know or bun me but then there's a lot of cool stuff you know especially if you walk down like fairfield cbd or smithfield or just different areas of fairfield that you don't normally go to 
I do agree with that yeah. because a lot of the time when I go to like Cabra just to get food, I usually just stick with like a hand-picked yeah. amount of restaurants that I just yeah. know I've been to. Mm. I just feel like there's a bit of a risk of like, oh, I could go to lunch here, but like, what if it's not good? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, some of your content where you just go to these random spots around the area and just highlight what kind of food that they bring. And I was like, what? They actually sell that there? Like, I've never thought of looking at this, uh, this store, this restaurant whenever I'm in Cabra. So I think it's really good that your content's yeah, highlighting. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your other content as well, the K barbecue set, the DIY at home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That looks pretty good. Yeah, that was a guy that I worked with. He, he came up with, that, that was one of the things, like he saw an opportunity, for example, uh, during COVID. Uh, during the lockdown, like saw an opportunity. I think he was already doing it actually, but obviously being in lockdown, a lot of people can't go out to restaurants anymore. So I saw him as a good service and he uh, hit me up in terms of like a collaboration type, uh, you know, working together sort of thing. I was like, yeah, sure, man. Because like I craved K barbecue during lockdown. Oh, I'm man. sure a lot of people did too. missing that so hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. What was the name for the barbecue thing? I the came across barbecue it. Do- uh, DIY at home. Yeah, at home. It's called Sia. Oh, Sia, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Do they clean that as well? They dropped it off at your house and then you can uh, they pick it up later. So you don't have to clean it, right? Nah. Yeah, that's great. The good people cleaned it, I suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you left the cleaning to them, which is pretty cool. Like as a, as a business model, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I came across that on one of your other content yeah. pieces as well. Uh, never tried it though, but it looked pretty good. Mm. Uh, we did mention that a bit on a previous episode for our listeners there our next question would be how do you have such a big appetite i've <laughs> looked at some of your content and in one of your videos you've downed four bun mis in like one video <laughs> i'm like what look i i don't recommend doing that i'm actually not that like that big of an eater like you know from whatever i portray that on surprises video. me yeah like on the days that I'm not going out and exploring and stuff, for lunch, for dinner, I don't actually eat too much because I guess you have to have balance somewhere. So you're kind of like eating big and then you fast for like one day and then sort of, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not in that sphere of competitive eating or just eating a lot because um, yeah, it's just not me. Like Matt Stoney uh, style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think for me with food, it's less about stuffing yourself and more about like enjoying what you're eating and and you know uh seeing the type of thing that's in front of you on the plate and really like being there in the moment to eat it and it sounds cheesy but like there comes a period of time where for example if you go to buffets right you don't really enjoy the buffet too much at the end because you're stuffed like you're too full you can't you can't be satisfied if you're too full like that's that's me and i guess um you know when i was younger i loved buffets i used to stuff myself man make your money's worth that type of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah over time i just like i didn't enjoy it as much anymore i just like trying different food and you know thinking about what to write about it and um sharing those stories with other people like yeah so i sort of went away from eating too much <laughs> and yeah have you seen that video of the chinese tourists going for the prawns yeah, 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 of course, of course. That that that's that comes to mind. It's yeah, like, yeah. why would you want to spend like thirty dollars, forty dollars on a buffet yeah, just yeah. to eat like prawns? Yeah, like, what's the point? Well, <laughs> it's a it's a buffet thing. You go for the most expensive thing first, you know. But yeah, because of that, like, I don't have too big of an appetite. But if there's something I love to eat, and I'll sit there and I'll stuff myself. Like, I don't, I don't care, you know. <laughs> 
right, we'll come back to that. I noticed the trend of quality of your, your videos tend to got better as you went on. Mm. When did you feel like it was a good time to sort of invest in better equipment? That's hard to pick. At first, when I, when I first started YouTube, for example, right? When I first started YouTube, I was using like just this old camera I found in the wardrobe. You know, like someone had left it there. I think my uncle, he used to live with us. <laughs> I was like, oh, let me use this camera and just, you know, have some fun with it. And then I started making some videos and I, I don't think, like personally, I don't think the quality of my first few videos was very good, but it was fun. Like it was fun practice. And I sort of, from that, I learned what I wanted to do with the, the uh, videos on YouTube. And that was not so much like eating a heap of food, but more so like sitting there talking about the food and learning the story behind the food in those places. Um, and that might involve like interviewing the owner of the restaurant or the person behind the food, you know, during that time. And then I guess there was a period of time where I thought, hmm, I really should invest in something to make this look nicer, not for myself, but for better storytelling, I suppose, right? And that was the period of time where I was like, okay, let's, let's put some money in and let's get myself at least a decent camera, a uh, decent lens and decent, decent microphone. Yeah. Get did, some better audio, yeah. you know. Um, I noticed the, the, the road lately, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. I used, um, at first, I borrowed my mate's mic, just a, like a shotgun mic is what oh, we call yeah. it, at the top. Yeah. Um, and then I went into like this cheap lapel mic from Amazon. It was by a... Uh, you know, a company called Boya or something. I haven't heard of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I got that for 30 bucks. I still use it to this day, like sometimes, but barely. And then after that, I went into a Rode mic. So I used the wireless one, uh, Wireless Go. Funny story, the first time I used it, I was actually doing a video for the Easter show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I had no idea how to use it. I was like, oh, you just turn it on and you go. And I was recording myself with the, with the wireless mic um, at maximum volume. Oh, you so picked you, up all the background yeah, yeah. noise. Yeah, so you picked up all the background noise and my voice the whole time was like, like you know, very raspy. And I was like, oh, no, because this is this is a, a commissioned video as well. And I was like, oh, man, I spent so much time like trying to go through the audio and try to get that background noise out and try to make my voice sound okay. Like you yourself, I know you go through like audio and video and all of that. So you can see when all the peaks are sort of at the same. Yeah. That was me. So everything was maximum. There was no, there was no flow in the audio at all. So how'd you end up fixing it? I didn't really, <laughs> I tried my best, but it didn't really do so much. Man. Yeah, it was oh, bad. I hope yeah. they weren't, uh, you know, too harsh on you on the video. I actually really liked it. I don't know. I tried my best with the audio. I put background music behind it and, and at the end of the day, it was still watchable and it was good. Like it flowed through the whole Easter show and, you know, took the, the audience to see what was happening at the Easter show. That's the whole point of the video, right? Yeah, rather than just going Easter show for chips and a stick. Yeah. Vary it out a little. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of good food at Easter show as well, which is pretty cool. With the other point, you said that you interviewed, like, the businesses that you eat at. Mm. Do you just, like, cold call them or do you just, like, when you go buy the food, you're like, hey, can I just record you guys making some? A lot of the time with the YouTube videos, you know, if I'm not, if it's not my first time there, I've sort of met the the person behind the food just doing what I do anyway. Yeah, going there a lot. Yeah, yeah, like going there a lot, being a regular or, you know, just enjoying the food there and be like, hey, this is really good, man. Or for example, sometimes I previously write about them on, on Instagram because I do the writing and I tell the story through there. And then some places will hit me back up and say, hey, you know, I really appreciated that. 
and then yeah we start talking from there you know and it's it's pretty cool because you can see like for me the type of impact that you have on these people in their lives and when it comes time for example if i wanted to actually film like a featured youtube video about them or like just to help to tell their story as well and share their food and it's quite easy to get into that motion of saying hey you want to do like 30 seconds on the camera and you know, help to tell your story yourself as well because i find with youtube like it's one thing for me to be the eater behind the camera being like oh this is quite yummy you know go out and try it but it's another thing to actually you know physically bring that person in like the person behind the food and you know have them tell their story and have them to you know share what they're all about and i feel like it, it resonates with me and that's the type of content that i want to produce in the future so why not just do it through youtube as well for context so kevin actually writes up a whole like couple paragraphs about the food that he's eating it's like tonight's writing on his instagram story yeah. do you like run out of words to use you gotta have like a thesaurus like how, how often he said oh it's so crispy juicy i'd feel like once if i well, if i were to write my own food blog i'd just i feel like i'd be reusing a lot of the same words <laughs> uh, i guess it's a bit hard sometimes like you know crispy juicy delicious wonderful those are all <laughs> words that describe good food right yeah a lot of people like especially my friends are like oh how do you how do you have the time and like creative energy to like write three paragraphs about every single place you visit you know and it's not just one place it's like i've done i think over 200 places now Jeez. like pieces of writing about 200 different places you know and i guess for me it's fun like that goes back to learning about like more than the food but the story behind the food and when i what the food is about where it's from uh, whose recipe it was, you might have been like, you know, passed down family generational recipe type of thing. That's easy to write about because all you're doing is just relaying the story. And then at the very end, you can say, oh, it's good or bad. <laughs> I never I never say it's bad, you know. Like I, <laughs> if, if it's bad, I don't really write about it. That's the thing. Yeah, that's, that goes to another thing. Like with Instagram, um, a lot of people would ask, oh, why don't you add like bad reviews? negative reviews you know and for me i'd rather like with the platform that i've sort of grown into i don't want to do any negative stuff about anyone really because then you turn into like a food critic instead of like a yeah exactly yeah i don't want to critique other people's food to the point where people will not go there who am i to not tear down like i don't have that much power or whatever but who am i to tear down a business you know just for food that's not that good so out of the 200 that you've written roughly how many did you not write so i just want to see like a ratio 10 to 15 maybe that's still pretty high percentage it's like i like a lot of food you know (laughs) like (laughs) yeah like i try to be picky as as well with where i choose to eat i have a bit of mojo with you know if i look at a place oh i reckon this is going to be delicious and most of the time it is do you have any tips for people wanting to start their own food blog you got to do it for the right reason, man. Do it because you love food. Do it because, um, you know, it's fun to share. Food for me is when you talk to someone else and you share your food, that's you showing love to that person, you know what I mean? So if you have a, a love and passion for food deep inside, it's going to be easy for you. Um, in terms of actually creating the food blog, I guess it depends on what platform you want to create it on. Like some people still do websites, some people want to create video content. And I think the 
biggest the biggest tip is probably just to stay consistent and do what you do and you know have your own personality in it like be yourself because there's a million food bloggers out there man. there's a lot of food bloggers exactly yeah. so how do you make yourself stand out more from the others for me it's just being myself that's pretty much it like so it's, it's, so it's very it's very it's very broad in terms of an answer but when you be yourself and when you talk about like for example your own experiences with food and your own memories with food that's you people are learning about you you know um and that also goes back to why I didn't go down the food critiquing route as well. Anyone can do that, all right? But how's the relationship that you have with food? You know, I can ask you the same thing. You know, what does eating pho or banh mi mean to you? And you could tell me like probably a hundred different stories about banh mi when you were younger because you grew up with it as well. That's right. Isn't it? Yeah. So that's where you bring your own little spin on it. And yeah, hopefully people love to read it. Interesting, interesting. Really good tips there for our listeners there if you want to start your own. I think another good question would be, how do you get over the anxiety of recording in public? A lot of people feel awkward just talking in front of a camera and there's like... Recording the food or recording myself? <laughs> a bit of both actually. Like sometimes when you're recording yourself eating the food, you're usually in a public place and there's mm. like people walking around. How do you sort of true. get past that? I think for me when I record myself in public like at a restaurant eating food i think for me the main thing is i don't want to be a nuisance to the people around me so i don't want to make a lot of noise and stuff like that i don't want to disturb other people but at the same time um, obviously when you first start doing that sort of stuff there is a bit of like anxiety nervousness involved like how many people go out and record themselves in public right that's true yeah so at first it was pretty much like realizing that people when you are in public and they see you uh, recording yourself, they're not really judging you. They're just interested. They're like, oh, what's this guy doing, man? You know? And then, like, once I tell them, for example, some people come up and ask, they're like, what are you filming for, man? And then I say, oh, I have a food YouTube channel or a food blog. They're like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You know, share, share it with me. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's cool, man. Like, you start conversations like that. Everyone loves food, man. And I think it's cool, like, starting this stuff. I think you enter into what we call the creator economy. So you start creating content about food or about yourself and like just sharing your own personal story with the world. And a lot of people are interested in it because I think that's the way that the world is going at the moment. So it's kind of similar mindset to like when you go to the gym for the first time, you think mm. everyone's like yeah. kind of judging you, but then in actual fact, everyone's like, oh, you know, they're doing better for themselves or they're doing something interesting. Yeah. I haven't been to the gym in a while. <laughs> but um, Is that because of COVID or? Yeah, yeah. I, I stopped going to the gym after uh, the first lockdown. I just never renewed my membership after that. So it was like a year? <laughs> yeah, but year. it's it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I had a like a surgery slash injury uh, before that. And then that stopped me from doing any like heavy weightlifting, like deadlifts and heavy squats uh Pretty much for my entire life is what I was advised by my surgeon. It's pretty full on. Yeah, it's kind of sucky. So, like, I still do, like, body weight stuff and, um, you know, just normal dumbbells at home. Mm. Like, as much as I can. And I get my cardio in, play basketball, play. I, I do a bit of jogging as well with my puppies. And um, <laughs> so that gets me active. But since then, I just haven't been back to the gym because a lot of the stuff that I love to do at the gym, particularly that heavy stuff, I couldn't do anymore. 
that kind of sucks. Like a lot of people would kind of resonate and be like, if I couldn't go to the gym again. Like, yeah. It's... I mean, I still can go to the gym. It's just that um, the fact that I can't do that particular ranges of exercises anymore means that for me, it's probably not too big of a, like in terms of a value for money thing. I can do most of the stuff, most of the actions around my muscles at home anyway. So it's okay. Like, <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. So this question was sent in by one of our listeners. He was previously on uh, the show, Mr. Gary Lee, my PT. His question for you was, do you ever regret the naming scheme of your brand? And the reason being is he mentioned he watched an episode of Shark Tank and there was an episode about the guy who founded GoPro. Mm. And he used to say that he was about to call the GoPro like a surfing camera, which limits the camera because now people use it for like blogging and stuff mm. like that. And then going back to your name with Sydney Food Boy, it kind of sounds like you only are just going to cover stuff in Sydney. Yeah. Is there going to be like a further reach in future once traveling's open? I bloody hope so. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think something I've always wanted to do is take what I do overseas um, because... When I was overseas, that's where I got the inspiration to do it in the first place. I love traveling, man. Like, I travel as much as I can before COVID. And that, to me, gave me also that love of food and exploring and all that. So, yeah, man, I'd love to take what I do, like creating content around food overseas one day. I guess it is a bit hard and a bit limiting in terms of the name, the alias that I've given, which is Sydney Food Boy, because as one might read, that's just Sydney, right? I think deep inside, I feel very lucky to have gotten the name that I've gotten. Like Instagram has been a thing for a very long time and no one took Sydney Food Boy as a name. So naturally, I just took it, right? <laughs> How'd you come up with it? I don't know. Like I just wanted to write about food in Sydney and then I was just scrolling through Instagram and no one was called Sydney Food Boy. There were like some funny, like really funny names like Sydney Food Slut and stuff what? like that. Yeah. That's what? Yeah. And I was like, oh... Yeah, that ain't me. <laughs> Probably won't be good for like sponsor deals or something. No, no. Use that. So then, but yeah, I saw Sydney Food Boy was free. So then I was like, oh, it's a pretty good name. I like it. It rolls off the tongue pretty well. I asked a couple of people I, will, uh, I was with at the time, like my friends and family. And they're like, yeah, it sounds cool. All right. So then I ended up taking it. But yeah, like so far it's been great as a name. Like I really like it. Um, and... I guess I shorten it to SFB sometimes as well when people ask. SFB would be, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, like, I don't know what I'd do if I go overseas because, like, the only thing that you're limiting is your reach to different audiences. Um, a lot of people would think, oh, this guy's just from Sydney, so why is he covering overseas? Whereas, I guess if I flip the switch and think about it in a different uh, light, it would be, I'm a guy from Sydney who's doing this sort of stuff. You know what I mean? That's true. Uh, yeah. So I just love food. I'm from Sydney and that's my background. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. And it's a homage to my childhood and just growing up here. Very uh, deep answers here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about it though. Well, yeah. I hope hopefully these are insightful enough for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, once borders open, which would be your first country to visit? Oh, that's hard. I think... Um, I really wanted to go to Europe before lockdown. Like, we actually planned to do it in 2020. Luckily, we didn't book the plane tickets or anything like that. And I know a lot of people who did, and they just got messed up because of the refunds and all that. Yeah. But 
uh, I'm not sure if I still want to go to Europe anytime soon. Like, I feel like there's more in Asia to explore, and the places I've traveled are mostly in Asia. So, I'd like to spend a bit more time potentially in Asia, possibly even like South America first, and maybe to Europe when I'm a bit older and more financially set, because apparently Europe is very uh, expensive. Oh, yeah, I've heard it's like 10, 15 grand yeah. for the whole trip. What about you? Myself? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Probably, um, I just want to do something small first, like something close by, Singapore. Yeah. Singapore's nice, man. Um, just because, I don't know, I'm a bit skeptical that borders might close or something mm. again. And I That's don't want to be too far. That's true, yeah. From getting flights. If you do go to Singapore, when would you go? Well, what's better? Like summer, winter? Oh, Singapore's in, like Singapore's a tropical zone. So it's just hot all the time, like, <laughs> all year round, man. The winter wouldn't even make a difference. Winter's a bit better. But it's just hot and like humid. Like I remember the first time I was in Singapore. I've been there like maybe five, six times now because oh, wow, my, yeah, because I have relatives over there, so I visit them every now and then. But the first time I went there, I was stepped out of the hotel room, and man, like the weather just hits you like a truck, man. It's kind of like Vietnam, right? Sort of, yeah, yeah. Like you go out and it's really hot and you start sweating straight away. You know, don't wear grey shirts, man, because you can see everything, man. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just very hot and humid and musty, I think is the right word. Yeah, so you can go anytime, really. <laughs> You've been to Singapore a couple of times already then, mm. and my other mates that have been, they say typically in Singapore, there's not much to do. You can probably spend five, six days there mm. and experience most of the things. Would you agree to that? Yeah, to an extent. Depends how long you want to go there, like... For some people, maybe two days is enough, really. You know, two to three days. If all they're interested in is, like, sightseeing um, and, you know, visiting the places around the city. But if you're exploring food in Singapore, it's a different story. When I ended up my trip there uh, in 2019, I knew I was going to be there for about, like, 10, 11 days. And, you know, from what you hear from everyone who spends time in Singapore, there's not much to do, right? That's what they always say, yeah. But the only thing really big there is food. They have a lot of food there and really amazing food too. And like, it's just a collection of food from different cultures. For example, like Chinese, Malaysian, even Indonesian style. And then it's a very multicultural city as well. For example, Indian and Pakistani food. So it was very nice to explore. And their, their food seems a bit different as well. In Sydney, it's either takeaway shops or restaurants. So in Sydney, it's like a lot of takeaway shops and restaurants, right? In um, Singapore and even in Malaysia, there's what you call hawker centers. And hawker centers is what you imagine to be like, like a giant food court sort of thing. And there's all these different stores and each store specializes in their own thing. And here's the wonderful thing. Every store has like maybe a family behind it that's been there for a very long time. So you can pick like any store in any hawker center around Singapore and there's a lot of hawker centers and then you're trying something new and it's very cool. Is that where Hawker Chan originated? Singapore? Hawker Chan's from Singapore, yeah. Oh, it's still there, right? And the yeah. original pricing. Yeah, I've been to the original one. You've been there? Yeah, Hawker Chan's quite funny. I can't remember where the, the name of the hawker center it's in, but if you go upstairs into the hawker center, you can see the original one and like the the, uh, the duck and the roast pork, it gets served on, you know, just your typical plastic plates or whatever. And then you can walk downstairs back onto the street and then you see a new restaurant by Hawker Chan. 
exact same food and now it's served on a nice plate in an air, con- <laughs> in an air conditioned like restaurant and it's like double the price <laughs> you yeah. pay extra for yeah. the aircon yeah pay extra for the aircon and like not as long of a wait oh wow yeah but the prices are ridiculous man like if you've ever been to Asia like anywhere in like Southeast Asia you'll know that the food there is a fraction of what it costs in Sydney especially in the hawker centers like you could get a solid meal for about $3.80 $2.80 like a full yeah. meal, drink, yeah. everything? Oh, drink as well. Like, you'd have to pay like $1.50, $2. Oh, still, like. it's... But still, pennies. man, like, you could take however much money you spend here and then go over there and just eat like pig all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I remember like Vietnam, you get like bowls of fur for like $1 or $2. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, man. But um, yeah, it's, it's cheap. It's affordable. Not to say that it's deservedly cheap, you know. I'd pay a lot of money for that because the flavors are amazing, but... Yeah, it's just cool. I'm keen to see the uh, Singapore edition yeah. of your videos once that's out. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I'd love to though. <laughs> you mentioned you've been to a couple countries already. Can you quickly list the ones you've been to? Oh. I know Japan's one. Japan's one. I want to go backwards actually. When, when was the last time? So going backwards, uh, Singapore, Nepal, Japan and South Korea. And then USA. So I was in the States and spent some time in New York on my university placement there. Uh, Vietnam, Hawaii, that's still USA. I did a trip to Malaysia and Thailand, but off a boat, like a cruise boat. Oh, one of those uh, carnival cruises or something? I was in Royal Caribbean, I think it was called. It was very cool, man. What company is that? Royal Caribbean. Is that how you say it? Royal Caribbean? Royal Caribbean? Caribbean? <laughs> is that the actual... Um, oh, wait, it is. Oh, it is a, 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 its own brand. Kind of like um, yeah. Carnival. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I love it, man. It's nice. How, how long was your cruise for? 10 days, I think. Because I've been um, itching to try a cruise before. Yeah? And it's just I, I went been all with, um, I went with my mates. We had a group of like 15 people, man. It was so fun. I heard just like activities just do everywhere and just yeah. like you just drink and... Yeah, <laughs> I've never been on a cruise before, so that was my first cruise, and it was my mate's idea because he used to go on cruises with his family, and he was like, "Oh yeah, it's heaps of fun, man. You go there, you eat a lot, you don't care about anything." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great, man." <laughs> Did you go during summer? We went during summer. Yeah, this was when we were all still like in university or just like not too far out of high school, so it was fun. Like it was just a big group of us. How many years ago was that, roughly? Oh, I can find here. Hang on, twenty seventeen. <laughs> Four years ago, okay. Four years ago, yeah. Not too bad. Yeah, so we were were all sort of like midway through university. It was fun. All right. Well, I'm definitely keen for one. And you would recommend the same to our listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to say it, man. Royal Caribbean? Caribbean? (laughs) Caribbean? Caribbean. Yeah. It's it's an excellent excellent cruise boat because there's so much stuff to do. And there's a lot to eat as well. And the food is good. It's crazy, man. Like you pay obviously per night to go there. Like you pay for a big trip and it might be like seven nights. It might be 10 nights, for example. But during the time, it's like a endless buffet. There's so much food. You never have to stop eating. <laughs> you go for breakfast, it's a buffet. You go for lunch, it's a buffet. It's the same oh buffet. Yeah. You go for dinner, you can go to the same buffet if you want. But obviously the food gets a bit sickening if you do that. Yeah. So they, they do this like semi-fine dining thing at nighttime and you can dress up every night. And then have drinks after. It's pretty cool, man. So you went for a 10-day trip. How much was that? Oh, I can't remember. Roughly. A little... Oh, actually, I do remember. 1.2. 1.2, 1.3, I think. For 10 days? Yeah, man. It That's was pretty cool. cheap. Yeah. Like 130 a night plus all your... 
Yeah. Food covered? Drinks? Yeah, we ate a heap too, man. I gained like five kilos that Christmas. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It was, I ate a lot, man. I came back all around. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> did you get the drink package as well? Because some cruises offer like unlimited alcohol. I think I did. Yeah, but the drink package, I can't remember how much it costs. It might have been like 30 a day. So I think that's how cruises make a lot of their money. Like they sell booze. Because I looked at Carnival. I also recall mentioning this on a previous episode. Mm. Carnival charge, I think it was like 60 USD or something, which is like maybe 90. Mm. And you have to pay like for every day that you're on the cruise. It doesn't matter. So if it's yeah. a 10 day cruise, then you're paying like maybe 900 yeah. just for alcohol. And it's like, you're probably not going to make your money's worth on that. Yeah. So if you're saying like this other range, this other brand, the Royal Caribbean actually offer a bit cheaper pricing. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because that was back in 2017, so no promises they will be the same price here. Yeah, I mean, it's probably more now. <laughs> this is just off, like, distant memory, man. I might have gotten it wrong, too. But you did buy it. Yeah, yeah. And do you reckon you got your money's worth from it? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, you know, there's a there's a level of... Uh, this didn't go on air, but there's a level of getting the drinks and sharing it with your friends who didn't buy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Just don't let them see, right? Yeah, who cares, man. <laughs> <laughs> like when when you have the drink pack you have a lanyard around you yeah i think from memory and then yeah you can just go off to wherever and like whatever bar they have across the entire boat and just get some drinks man and slip it to your mate that's a smart idea <laughs> do you want that cut out or <laughs> no nah, you can put it in <laughs> oh my god um uh, okay out of those countries that you listed yeah what was your most favorite oh I would say um, probably Singapore in that there's obviously family heritage there. I'm not Singaporean, but like some of my family, instead of coming to Australia, they went to Singapore instead. So I have a whole family tree there and I love visiting like my relatives, my aunties, uncles, cousins. They're such beautiful, nice people. There's that, but in terms of like an exploring standpoint, probably Japan. You have uh, favoured a lot of our listeners who love Japan. <laughs> Japan's amazing, man. I love Japan. Like, I could spend a lot of time there. The only thing with Japan is it is quite expensive if you try to do everything. Mm. Um, the the thing I found about Japan was the travel, the transport yeah. was expensive. Like, because what you want to do is have a, a, what do you call it, a JR pass. Um, and that allows you to get on any train to anywhere around the city, wherever you buy it to. And then... Everyone loves to ride on the Shinkansen, which is the bullet train as well. And that costs even more money, man. Like that, it's a lot of money to spend. Like I was spending maybe 250 a week on traveling, like just on transport. Oh, yeah. It adds up. That's a lot of money, man. Like If you think about it, that's nearly like 30. No, that's 40 to $50 a day just on transport and traveling. Yeah. And then you compare that to you know how much you spend on transport in Sydney. And it's nowhere near that. It's like, what's $10 hell? a day from yeah. the west to the CBD. 10 to yeah. 15 a day. You're spending 40 to 50 over there. Like, what? But it is reliable. It is reliable. It's so reliable. Like, the difference between the transport in Japan versus here is there's systems over there where, like, pretty much all trains come on the dot at, like, on time, no matter where you are. I remember missing one and it was like, the next one came in, like, three minutes. So it was like, no, wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. So I've been blessed to go to Japan twice, once with my girlfriend and once, I think in my first or second year of uni with my mates. Oh, we've got the same numbers. I've been twice as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereabouts did you go? In Japan? Um, I've been to the big three cities, which is uh, Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto. Everyone's been there. Yeah. The last trip I did, 
I went a bit further, so... Like north or south? Uh, south. Hiroshima? Mm. I wanted to go to the snows, but I planned it wrong. So I, I went in winter with my girlfriend, and then we ended up in a place called Nozawa Onsen, which is uh, like a ski city or a ski town. And I only planned, like technically on the itinerary, I planned three days for the snow. But the first day, by the time we got there, it was like one o'clock, you know, so... Mm. Yeah, there's not too much time to buy stuff like rent gear, yeah. get on the snows, get on the slopes, and also we hadn't like this is our first time at the snow ever. You never skied before? Never skied, never snowboarded. My family never took me. <laughs> never went with my friends. I was meant to go this year as well, like the first time to Australian snows. Oh, to like Threadbow or yeah, yeah, yeah Perisha, and then lockdown, mate. <laughs> like one week before we were supposed to go. So you know how people went to the snow and they had like one week of snow, like visitors, and after that it was locked yeah, down completely. Yeah. Like you bastards, man. <laughs> we are supposed to go camping. Yeah. In that week. Messed yeah. up everything. But yeah, so back to Nazawa Onsen, I planned three days there, but also we wanted to see the snow monkeys, which is a cool thing to do over there. So that was the last day, which meant we only had one real day on, on the slopes. So first time there, planned a private ski lesson. I heard skiing was easier to learn quickly is, yeah. than snowboarding. So planned a private ski lesson and then... Yeah, I had like about had about six hours on the snow. It was fun, man. <laughs> Not enough. Could have done more. <laughs> Could have done more. Should have planned it better, but no, no regrets. It was, you it was you fun, learn man. for next time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you do go again um, in the snow, hmm. I would recommend Hokkaido in the north. Yeah. Like, I've always wanted really to go heavy, Hokkaido, man. Really heavy. Yeah. Like you walk on the street, and uh, we went like January-ish yeah. to Feb, which is like middle of winter. Yeah. Just walk on the street and you got like piles of snow on your shoulders. It's really heavy. That's crazy. But it's nice because you can't experience anything like that. Yeah. yeah. And the snow in Japan's like so soft. Yeah. Like you could stomp anywhere and your foot goes down like... You hear the crunch. Yeah. Like, wow. It's amazing, man. <laughs> and soft as clouds. Because I was falling over like all over the place, you know, it's my first time there. So I wasn't hurt at all. The only thing I was hurt was, uh, you know, when you're skiing and you're putting your legs together... So it becomes very sore on your legs. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So there was no soreness from actually falling into the snow. It was cloud soft. Yeah. It's yeah. fluffy, yeah. Yeah. It's fresh. I know you cover a lot of local places. Mm. What would you say is your favorite? Um, and if you can't answer that because you don't want to be too biased, I'll just say maybe you can do top three in no particular order that you like to visit. In the area? Or maybe ones that you've covered. Oh, that's that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I, I thought it might. Have been. <laughs> you know, that's like that's like if you have kids and you're like, who's your favorite kid? <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's a couple of places that I have a really strong feeling for because I've been eating there for a very long time, like ever since I was a child. One of them would probably be in Cabramatta. There's a shop called Batambong, which is they sell like Khmer food, Khmer cuisine. Cambodian noodles and ever since I can remember my dad used to take me there it's so cheap like ten dollars yeah like man. a bowl or something yeah you've been there so many times we call it the like back in high school we called it the bin restaurant because it's like it's next to like a bunch of bins <laughs> on the side <laughs> yeah and then we always made jokes because the the chef always came out like topless just wearing the apron and just yeah. like his nipples like sticking out mate that's how you know it's good eh <laughs> <laughs> so it's authentic yeah. the more dirtier it is it looks <laughs> sketchier yeah but I love that place, man. Like they have two restaurants there. They have a sister restaurant and a brother restaurant. The brother restaurant is on one side of the Cabramatta train station and the sister restaurant's on the other where the John Street sort of area is. 
but I love both of them, man. Like that, that is a place that if I ever leave Sydney and I come back, the first place I would go is that place. And which dish would you get? Simple uh, Phnom Penh. How do you say it? Phnom Penh noodles. Phnom Penh noodles. Oh, is that um like hutiu equivalent? Yes, in Vietnamese, I think they call it hutiu mi nam yang or something like that. Hutiu nam yang. Yeah. Right. Uh, what's that in English? Or is it just Phnom Penh noodles? I think it's just Phnom Penh noodles. Like that. That translation is like Cambodian noodles. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, you guys can uh, Google it's it up. But it's man. And I always get it dry. Um, and I always get it mixed as well. So you can order it with just rice noodles or egg noodles. I always order it with both. And that's just a childhood thing, man. <laughs> I prefer soup, personally. You prefer soup? Like just have it's like a bit of a warmer thing. Yeah, I like the soup on the side because you can have it dry and then you can have it with soup as well. Uh, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. If I had to choose a local favorite, it's probably that place. Like I'll never live that place down, man. <laughs> it, it, I think it does go. To a lot of childhoods. I, I do remember eating there a lot as a kid as well. Yeah. Where'd you eat a, a lot as a kid besides that place? Oh, probably have to be uh, Furang in Bankstown. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> that was just like a special time. It's like, if you do well, we go eat there in Bankstown. If you do oh, well yeah. in tests, we go eat there. Yeah, yeah fair enough. <laughs> the inflation cost though. It's out. so pricey there now. It is pricey compared to other places. Not that it's not deserved. Like, pho is a great dish. And if you're up to me, like... And we all had money. It would be that price for everywhere because it's such an amazing soup broth, you know, and so much work goes into it. That's a, that's another argument for another day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your second option. Oh, second. In no particular order. I don't know, man. Probably that fur restaurant that I did a video on called Two Fitties. I really like that place, man. That place is such a hidden gem. Yeah. That's what everyone thinks when they first go there, right? Like... It's in the middle of a petrol station next to a car wash. And you walk in, you're like, what the heck is this? It's so <laughs> odd. Like, so for context, yeah, as um, Kevin mentioned, it's just a really odd fur restaurant location. So it's on the corner of a highway. And this is like only that thing there. Like just, just those two buildings on that yeah. certain corner. And you wouldn't think twice that there'd be a restaurant next to a, a petrol station. Until you smell the air. Yeah, it's like a mix of petrol and then like this really good broth. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, what? Yeah, this amazing aroma. You're like, where the hell is that coming from? Yeah. And yeah, people who don't know it can still smell it. And they have the most wonderful broth, in my opinion. Like it's uh, a lot stronger as a broth compared to other fur restaurants around Sydney. So the first time you eat it or you drink the soup, you're like, oh, this is very strong compared to other places. But you can tell they do things differently. Um, and... I just love it, man. Like the first time I had it, it just reminded me of one of my best mates. He's Vietnamese and like his, his mum's fur. Yeah, it tastes really home cooked. Yeah. I'll Whereas, you know, you know the difference between like home cooked fur and like restaurant fur. Yeah. Mm. A lot of the time when you go out to eat at restaurant uh, fur joints, the, the soup is a lot cleaner. Sometimes even less flavorful as well. But you get really thirsty after a lot of MSG. Yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, but um, but this place is just amazing, man. Like it's just Flavor Town, amazing stuff. I would recommend anyone goes there. Like anyone who wants to try fur, uh, really good fur. Probably like I would recommend Two Foodies and Fang in Bankstown. So Kevin's done a video on Two Foodies. If you check him out on YouTube, you'll be able to find it pretty easily. Yeah, like. I didn't know about the restaurant until a mate told me about it as mm. well. Same here. I feel like it's all just word of mouth. Yeah. There's like nowhere else you'd find out about it. Yeah. Otherwise. 
it started off just being a hit with people around that very local area. So for context, it is in Mount Pritchard. So it's a bit further away from Cabramatta and Bankstown where you would normally expect the fur joints to be. It's in the middle of a highway. There's nothing there around it besides like a Domino's maybe. It's in between sort of Cabramatta and Liverpool, that area. Uh, Bonnyrig more? More Bonnyrig, yeah, yeah. So around those areas, you know. But yeah. Really good option. Yeah, I love that place. Yeah. It's so good. Number and three. your final option. I don't know, man. This is just too hard. <laughs> well, you could think of it as like, what would you recommend to someone? The top three places. If they were to go, what should I eat? I would probably go, what have I done? Khmer, Vietnamese. Let's go Lao. I'd probably yeah. say Lao Village. Or the place across um, the corner, which is called Song Fang Kong. Both do really good Lao cuisine. Um, and they're right across from Fairfield Station. I'm like choosing places I've just eaten at for a very long time, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Besides Two Foodies, because that only popped up in the scene like two, three years ago, I think. Mm. From memory. From 2019, memory. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lao Village is awesome because for me, that was the first time I had Lao cuisine. And Lao cuisine isn't too different from like Vietnamese and Khmer cuisine. They use fish sauce, they use like fresh salad and stuff like that. But it's just a, like a whole different flavor profile, which I really love. And these are pretty much, these three restaurants are restaurants that I have on rotation. So yeah, across all the eating and stuff, there are restaurants that I visit at least like once every month or two, like with my girlfriend, because we're hungry and we crave it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the restaurants, man. <laughs> Really good three options. We will leave a link to them uh, in the episode notes as well. If you could only have one food for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be? Probably bun me. <laughs> Probably a pork roll, man. I love that stuff. I could eat that forever. I reckon... I personally really like like bread. I like anything with rolls and carbohydrates, and that's very bad, eh? It's bad for your stomach. <laughs> but yeah, man, I could eat bun me forever. Yeah, you did mention that in one of your yeah. uh, videos as yeah. well. I so could never get sick that. of me. yeah. You know, once upon a time, I thought I wouldn't get sick of um, like yum cha, like dumplings mm. and like uh, dim sum and all that. But then I went to Hong Kong. Oh, there are other places I've been as well. Uh, I went to Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, all you eat in the morning for breakfast is yum cha. Yeah. <laughs> and I ate it like six days straight. I'm like, oh. So sick of this bed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, Not so well. that was that was pretty much my trial with the yamcha type food. It was delicious, man. But like, if you eat it every single day, then you sort of get sick of it. I feel like I wouldn't get sick of pork roll. What's your longest streak of pork rolls? Longest streak? What do you mean? Like, how many days have you had it in a row? In a row? Oh, you've done six with yamcha, so surely you've beaten that record with bun mi. Probably five to six days straight. Like, kind of matched up to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I was working somewhere for a period of time and there was a really good bakery there, so I just buy it every day for lunch. Yeah, it's a really cheap eat, like, mm. really affordable for a kid. Yeah. Four or five dollars for a exactly. solid meal. <laughs> Almost too affordable, hey? <laughs> Dangerous for your wallet. Because, like, when you look at the other options around and, like, for that price point, as a young broke kid in university, that's the best thing. Like, it's going to fill you up, man. You know, and it's delicious as well. So, why not? If you're in the city for, like, Bun Me, it's, like, $10, $8. No, in comparison yeah. to, like, $5. Yeah. Depending where you're at. We have a lucky out in Kevin Matter, man. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> Bun Me's quite cheap. 
Yeah. It's very, uh, I'd say, undervalued. Very undervalued. I agree. Very undervalued. Like, I would be more than happy to pay like 10 bucks for a pork roll, you know, just because of the sheer amount of work that goes into it and the ingredients and the cost and all that. Like, I think selling for 4 to $5 is, you know, you're just doing that to stay affordable for the people it's around steel. you. But it's a steal. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. Like, if you compare it to, for example, other sandwiches, right? You go to, like, any sort of sandwich shop, you buy a sandwich, like, specially made for you. That's, like, eight, nine bucks already, man. And then, on, like, if you go into the more, the more exotic breads, for example, like a panini, mm. you're paying, like, 12 bucks, 13 bucks for the panini. You yeah, know what I mean? So, I don't know how there's a, <laughs> such a huge discrepancy in the price point between, like, a bun mi and, like, a panini. Both are really good. I love both of them, though, you know. <laughs> My next two questions would be a bit of a debate I have with some friends a lot with food. Mm. Do you like coriander in bun mi? I do, but I didn't used to. I used to be that guy that picked it out when I was a kid, you know, picked it out. I'm like, oh, what is this disgusting thing? <laughs> <laughs> now the only vegetable I don't like is celery. Oh, celery is still kind of hard to acquire. Yeah. Yeah, I personally don't like celery very much, but coriander, I think, tastes great in banh mi. Some, some other dishes too, but particularly in banh mi, like my girlfriend would pick out her coriander and give it to me and I'll put it into my bread now. <laughs> Gladly take it. Yeah, yeah. Some people say like coriander is like, some people are born with a certain taste bud that makes it taste like soap or something. That's what I've read. <laughs> I think I've heard that too somewhere, man. I don't know if it's true. Yeah, I don't know if it's true either. Um... I definitely didn't like it when I was a kid. Like, I thought it tasted weird, man. You know, like, what is this green thing? I didn't like many vegetables, eh? <laughs> but you're, you're a vegetable fan now. Oh, yeah. I love eating vegetables. I wish I ate more vegetables. Sometimes I find myself eating too much meat. Like, just the different foods that I eat. Too much meat, too many carbs, too much <laughs> bread and rice. You need more fiber. Yeah, less veggies. Mate, going back to Japan... You've been to Japan, right? So you know that the listeners have heard a lot of my stories in Japan. Yeah. There's no veggies, man. There's no there's no fruit, you know, affordable fruit and veggies anywhere. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? You get a lot of seaweed, <laughs> but it's not. That enough. doesn't count, man. Like like when you're in Japan, all you eat is, for example, like J barbecue. Yeah, yakiniku. Street food. Yeah, street food. Onigiri. Um, mm. Instant noodles. Yes, ramen. I'm so hungry. Recording this. <laughs> And think about how many of those dishes have veggies. Barely, man. That's very true. Yeah. And the only veggies you get is like the, the spring onion on the ramen. Oh, yeah. That's right. Apart from Maybe that, garlic? Yeah. So, I have friends that I went on the trip with and they didn't like take a shit for ages <laughs> because they, couldn't, they didn't have enough fiber. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry to swear. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same as well. Like, yeah. it was just all meat. And alcohol. I feel like that's all I had there. Which is good because you're young, you know? (laughs) While we still can. Yeah, but there's no veggies. I don't know. Like, I've started to love veggies growing up, you know, a bit more. Veggies, I think, add a lot of... It's just a good addition to any dish. Yeah. And the last little question would be, do you put sauce in your fur broth? You mentioned no in your video. Do you want to still agree to that? No, I don't. (laughs) I don't put sauce in my fur broth. And I agree with Kevin. See, all right. <laughs> if you're listening, who, who puts sauce in their fur? Oh, it's a couple of mates that they put it in. They put it in there. Yeah. And I say it ruins the broth. It changes the broth definitely. Here's the thing: like going back to that mate 
and I heard uh, he, his mom makes really good fur. Like, I'd see him doing, uh, you know, sriracha and hoisin sauce over his fur broth before he eats it. And he apparently just grew up like that, you know, and it's possibly a southern Vietnamese thing. Um, it's just something they get from their families. And all props to them, like, that's how they like it, you know. But as a debate, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, uh, <laughs> the no side. As a debate, I don't put the sauce because I think it changes the broth flavor. So, you know, having a broth that's been sitting there for anywhere between 12 to 24 hours, or even longer than that, actually, um, you have this beautiful beefy flavor through it. And like, it already has that flavor. It already has that umami in it, right? So for me, the first thing I want to do when I eat fur or any sort of, any sort of noodle with broth dish is taste the broth. Like I want to taste, you know, all the, the beautiful flavor that's in the broth, in the soup because of how it's been cooked, right? So I like to enjoy that first and foremost. And then after that, I'd probably put a squeeze of lemon in. Like I don't even squeeze the lemon in before I taste the broth. I love lemon. Yeah. So I'll squeeze the lemon in after that. And then if I'm feeling spicy, I'll put a little bit of chili oil, but not much, not enough to change the flavor. And that's it. Like that's how I enjoy my broth. On the flip side, like, you know, let's say you have some broth in your spoon with some noodles and some meat there. I wouldn't mind putting the sauce on that. Yeah, or you just dip the meat in. Yeah, yeah, I do that as well. That way you're getting the same flavor as like someone who puts the sauce all into the broth in the first place, right? Except you're not changing what's in the main uh, dish in front of you. So that's how I like to eat it. Yeah. Are you the same? I am the same. No sauce in my fur. If you guys <laughs> have any qualms about that, let us know. Send us a DM on Instagram. <laughs> uh, so I just want to thank Kevin or Sydney Food Boy for joining us today on this episode. Where can the listeners find you? You can find me on any of my socials. So I have Instagram, TikTok and YouTube all under the name Sydney Food Boy. And I'm trying my best to get a website out at the moment as well. But I've been very lazy. Like I've had the... <laughs> so annoying. I've had the domain for like six months now maybe. And I still haven't worked on it. Just like you get into the flow of creating content. And then what I wanted to do with a website was I have all this writing stuff that I do on Instagram like all the, the words I've written about different restaurants and all that. And I wanted to collate that into the website just mm. for an easier like directory for people who want to look at it. That's so good. hopefully that's in the, in the books for the future. Um, that would be www.sydneyfoodboy.com. Just don't visit it just yet. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard it first? Yep. Oh, I also run Facebook as well. Same thing. Well, Sydney Food Boy on all platforms. All right. Easy. Nice and simple. If you have any questions or concerns, send us an email at riceandmikespodcast at gmail.com or you can message us on Instagram. Uh, that's at riceandmikespodcast. That's the handle. Otherwise, uh, we'll sign off for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one. See ya. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you for bringing me on. No worries. <laughs>